Oh, Lord, such a humble cry of our heart today. Even though we've been forced to be distant in, in lots of ways, we can still busy our hearts and our minds up with getting fixed on things. Our thoughts can be consumed. Our hearts can be overwhelmed and our perceptions can be skewed. And so we take a moment to just say, draw us close to you. Draw us close to you, Lord, the way you intended it to be. A relationship that you have with us, that we have with you, that is very real, very personal. And I pray today, if there's anyone watching that feels distant, feels unsure about their faith and their salvation, that through this word, through the message of the gospel, through being in your presence, you would reassure them and remind them of your love, your great love for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling our hearts, for filling our homes today. Wherever we may be, you are with us. We acknowledge that. And now, Lord, as we take a few minutes to get into your word, pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be open. Our eyes would be open. Our ears would be open to be able to receive what you are wanting to put into our life today. We love you and we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, our shepherd. We love you. Amen and amen. Well, good morning, New Life Church. So good to see you, be with you this morning. I have to interact with you because I just have to believe like you're sitting right here in front of me, even though we're on TV, so to speak. And it's good to be with you this morning. Thanks for tuning in to our worship service this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, your Bible apps, whatever you're using today. I'm going to ask you to go back a little bit to Exodus. Exodus chapter 13 is where we will start today. It'll be our springboard. As you're getting there, uh, I just want to say that, you know, being together again in person in worship every week is top priority for me. It's top priority for our leadership. It's top priority for you. It's top priority for our church. And, uh, and I want us to do everything we can to make that a reality. And so uh, one of the things that we're doing is a survey. We're asking you to go online to our website and go on the e-newsletter and you'll see the survey. Take should not take you any longer than two minutes to answer. And just answer those survey questions. It will automatically generate a response back to, to our database, and then we can track it, follow it. And that's just one of the measures we want to use in this process of getting back together again live in person. And so hopefully it won't be too long. But if you can do that, that would really help us out if you'll go and do that survey. Uh, listen, let's get into the Word. You should be there at Exodus chapter 13. I want to ask everyone a question today. Do you feel frustrated, uneasy, anxious, or maybe even irritated 
during this uncertain season, especially as it has lasted longer than we anticipated? My answer is yes. Absolutely, that has happened to me. It happens a little bit here and there each week. Uh, Thankfully, it's not every day, but I have moments, and perhaps you have some of those moments as well, waiting for this time to end. You know, the thing about waiting is it reveals a whole lot. It reveals some things. It reveals things about ourselves. Waiting reveals things about others. Waiting reveals things about our faith and our relationship with God himself. And uh, this past week, there was a, a time where I found myself waiting and I, I got irritated. I got uneasy. And uh, it, was, it was a day where I, could, I, I, I took the family. We went through the uh, mobile express lane of Chick-fil-A and I thought, okay, I'll do the mobile order. I'll get there. It'll be ready. And then we can move on. Well, I do the mobile order, I get there, it wasn't ready. As you can imagine, if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, pretty much any time, but especially during the quarantine time, their parking lot is crazy. And they're, they're, they have three lines now. They went from one to two to three lines, and it, it is nuts. And so anyway, I go in, pull up, get to my spot, and, 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 and I'm waiting and I'm waiting, and, and, and so we finally get, our, get our, our food that we ordered, and we leave, and I, had to, I did express some of my frustrations in front of my family, and uh, I had to go back and apologize to them for being impatient about waiting on food that we could afford to pay for that someone else fixed and brought it to my car, and yeah, first world problems, right? And, uh, but yeah, it was one of those days of waiting. Nothing seemed to go the way I wanted it to go. And I found myself waiting and it revealed some things about me and waiting does that. You know, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel knew a whole lot about waiting. In fact, they were waiting over 400 years to be delivered from Egypt. That's how long they were in bondage to Egypt, and they knew one way of living, one way of thinking, one way of going about life, and and they were waiting around for deliverance for a very long time. And then when God did deliver them, he did not lead them out along the way, the shortest route, which could have been around the 11-day mark to journey to the promised land. Instead, he led them, the Bible says, around the roundabout way or the long way around And it ended up being a 40-year journey for them. Now, why? Why did God not go the short route but chose the longer route? Let's look at it here in Exodus 13. Verse 17 says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. They ended up, God led them in the roundabout way, the longer way, because he said they might change their mind if they face a battle. In other words, you could say they were not ready, they were not equipped, they were not prepared, even though God 
would bring them out of Egypt, there was still some Egypt left in them. And they were forced to have to face some things. And so they found themselves waiting again. And God knew that about Israel. And he knew they needed to face some things before they could really step foot into the promised land. And I'll just propose it this way. Maybe, just maybe in this waiting time, in this uncertain season we find ourselves in, God wants us to face some things. God wants you and me to face some things. Just maybe we aren't quite ready for what's next, for what's new. Now, a little healthy theology here is God does not cause the destruction. God does not cause this disease. He does not do that. Satan has done that. Evil has done that in this time we live in in the sense that that's where it comes from. But here's what God does, because Satan's the destroyer. God is the deliverer. God does take bad things and turn them around for our good as we look to him and trust him and follow him. He always has. He always will. He has a way of doing that. That's who he is. And so here's the thing. If we want to experience a new and fresh season, then maybe we have to face some things. And that's what I want to talk to you today about is facing some things. And in a message that I've titled, Grasshoppers, Giants, and Golgotha. Grasshoppers, it's about facing ourselves. Giants, it's about facing giants. And Golgotha, it's about facing our cross. We're going to look at these three different places of Scripture and about facing some things. First, Grasshoppers is in Numbers chapter 13. It says this in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. Jump down to verse 18. It says, See, he tells them this, Go see what the land is like and find out where the people are living, whether they're strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do, they, do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And it happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. Verse 21, so they went up and explored the land. Verse 23, says, When they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And they also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. Verse 25, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. And down in verse 32, it says, They spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land... We traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. 
So they were given this mission, go, explore the land, explore the people, find out the size, the layout, the condition of the land, the population of the people, the the abilities of the people, the way they live life, find all these things out and come back. And when they came back, the result was this, their interpretation was the, the people were powerful, the land was bountiful, but there were also giants that existed. And it said they saw themselves like grasshoppers saw themselves as grasshoppers. Facing ourself is about our perception. You know, who and what we focus on will determine who and what we can become. Consider this in Psalm 121. The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains and the hills, longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection Come only from the Lord, our creator, who made the heavens and the earth. The psalmist says, I look up to the hills and to the mountains, longing for the help of my God. And then I realize, oh, wait, my help doesn't come from mountains and hills and what's over the hill. My help comes from the Lord himself, who we focus on, who we look to, and who we worship will determine the type of people and the type of person we will Become the children of Israel at this time, they were unable to see themselves and to see God in an accurate way. And so they had to wait. They had to continue to wait. Forty more years went by. And on the cusp of 40 years, the Lord gives Moses and the children of Israel an outlook, if you will. And he says, look, if this is what's possible, if you focus on me. And about the end of the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28, the Lord lays out blessings for obedience and disobedience, etc. And and he lays out all of these promises and these blessings for obedience. And I look at it as if we will look to the Lord and we will worship him and focus on him. This is the possibility of what could happen in our life. Now, I don't subscribe to the name it, claim it things. I'm more of a read it. Pray it, believe it, obey it, walk it out one foot in front of the other kind of person because I feel like that's pretty much what the majority of the context of God and and the relationship with people is all about. It's not about if you can say it, then you can get it. It's about being able to believe it, walk it out, etc. And so we see that Moses ends up dying at 120 years old and then you see the leader of Joshua come into play. And under, it's under Joshua's leadership that we begin to see because they looked to the Lord. They gained the right perspective and they saw who God really was and who he could be and who they were in his eyes. Then they were able to go across into the promised land and establish themselves. Joshua, the Lord told Joshua, hey, when he took command, you, you three times he said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And we begin to see because they looked to the Lord, they had the power then to walk this thing out into reality. They committed themselves to the Lord. And look at what what transpires at the end of Joshua's leadership. Famous verse, Joshua 24, 15. It's on a lot of plaques, on a lot of little little trinkets here and there. And here's what Joshua says. "If, If you refuse to serve the Lord, 
then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And look what happened. Joshua passed away, verse 31. It says, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. They got the right perspective. They faced themselves. And under Joshua's leadership, you see, when we gain the right perspective and we face ourselves, then we will receive the power to actually move forward into a fresh new season. That applies to our day and time right now as we are in this waiting. It applies to any season of life we will find ourselves in. And the question for us is, what does God Keep bringing before you about yourself that you need to face. Do you pretend that it doesn't exist like the children of Israel and sweep it under the rug? God says, look, if you want to experience a fresh new season, there are some things you got to face about yourself. You got to get real with who you are. So what is that? What are some things that the Lord keeps bringing before you to face? Like Joshua, if we will be strong and courageous to face ourself, then we can go forward. God can lead us forward into a fresh new season of freedom. Friend, I just encourage you as I encourage myself, waiting reveals things. And when we don't like what we see in ourselves, we need to face it and we need to own up to it. And we need to let the work of the Holy Spirit go to play in our heart and do his thing in us because he brings change and he brings freedom to our hearts and our lives. But there's some other things we probably have to face as well. And that's giants. Giants. One of the most famous stories, one of my all-time favorite stories is the story of probably you've already guessed it by now in 1 Samuel 17, David versus Goliath. And I want to pick up right kind of in the middle of this story about something that David says. Facing our giants, David said this in 1 Samuel 17, 45. He replied to the Philistine, the giant, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled and whom you have defied. It says, today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God. This is David speaking to the giant. In verse 47, he says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. David said this to a nine foot tall giant who's also known as a champion named Goliath, who for 40 days was taunting Israel. Every night and every day, every morning he would taunt Israel. But what's interesting in this story is how David fights and the position that David takes. You see, facing our giants is about the position that we take. 
And David's position was, I'm gonna let God fight for me because this battle is not mine. This battle is the Lord's. And how? That's a, I mean, how do you let God fight for you? You see, when we're having to wait and we really don't have control and we really can't do it, who else can do it for us? God. We'll find ourselves facing situations that seem so huge and really the only one who can handle it and deal with it and bring about the right outcome is God himself. How, does, how do we do that? How did David let God fight for him? How do we let God fight for us? David did it by standing firm on the name of the Lord. In the Hebrew, there are lots of names for the Lord that have a lot of different meanings, a lot of great meanings, all good meanings. But you can kind of tailor that down, narrow that down to, to three things. There's power in his name, there's salvation in his name, and there's protection in his name. Acts 10, verse 38, says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around scared to death, not able to do anything. Does it say that? No, it says, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And then famous verse in Philippians 2, 9 says, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all names. And in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of the Lord. And David knew that. And David, the way we let God fight our battles is that we stand firm in the name of the Lord. There's power in the name of Jesus to break all sorts of things, to destroy its yoke, the power in the name of Jesus. There's also salvation in the name of Jesus. Acts 4 12 tells us that there's no other name by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. That is so, so vitally important. No other name can save your soul. No other name. Only the name of Jesus. There's protection in his name. Back in the verse, book of wisdom in Proverbs 18 We're told that the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to it, and they are safe. There is protection in the name of Jesus. What giant are you facing right now? What's staring you down? What's standing between you and freedom? What is it? Could be fear. Whatever it might be, it's huge, it's gigantic, and it's unnerving, and it's scary, and you're looking at it. What is that? I want to encourage you, don't run from this giant in your life. What has a stronghold in you? What has a stronghold on you and over you? What is it that, that you like, man, I need to be free from this thing, but it continues to be ferocious and 
taunt me like this giant did, this Goliath did to Israel. And it's constant coming back up in your life over and over and over again. And you wonder, man, can I ever get free from this cycle that's constantly chasing me and taunting me? And the answer is yes. And I want to encourage you, don't run from the giant. Run to it and stand firm in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has all the power to break all sin's curse and all of hell's power in your life. The name of Jesus can do that, friend. And I want to encourage you, put your trust in the name of Jesus. Put your trust in the name of Jesus. I believe there's somebody watching today that you want to be free from an addiction in your life. You want to be free from it. And if you will put your whole faith right now in the powerful name, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who is resurrected, who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father now, making intercession for you. If you will put your faith completely in Jesus and in Jesus alone, and I believe if you will begin to say the name of Jesus over your giant of addiction, over your giant of a problem, over your giant of whatever, that the Lord through the Holy Spirit will deliver you and set you free because your purpose demands that you move forward. What giant are you facing? Like David, can we follow in his footsteps by taking the position. Let God fight for you. Stand firm on the name of the Lord. Watch his power and his salvation and his protection flood your life and lead you forward into a place of freedom that your heart deep down really, really, really wants. And that leads us to the third thing we also may have to face And that is Golgotha. What is Golgotha? Well, let's look at that in the Gospel of John chapter 19. John 19 verse 17. Jesus, it says, carrying the cross by himself, went to the place called the place of the skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Part of verse 28 and 30, it says, And then Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And then he said, It is finished. Golgotha is that part where the place where we have to face our cross because it deals with our purpose. Jesus finished his purpose because he fully faced his cross. Fully facing our cross leads to us being able to live God's purpose for our life. But what what does that mean? What does that look like, face the cross? Not having to physically be crucified. No, Jesus did that, thankfully, and that doesn't have to happen to us. But there is a spiritual aspect of of what actually took place that it can happen in us. And that is there are things you and I have to deal with and face where we have to let Jesus have some control. And that's what we're going to look at. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 16 in the message. Matthew 16, 24 says, Jesus went to work on his disciples. I like that. He went to work on them and he went to go let them know, hey, this is what needs to happen in your life, brothers, if you're going to 
succeed and you're going to flourish and you're going to have live your purpose. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering, but embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, man, but to lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? What does it look like to face our cross? Well, Jesus says it in in this vernacular that we chose out of the message. He says, let Jesus lead. He says, let me lead. Facing your cross means letting Jesus in the driver's seat of your life. Let Jesus lead your life. His will, his ways, his word take precedent in your life. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at this. It doesn't mean we're going to always have every day be the right day that we live up to this thing perfectly. But what it does mean when we fall and make mistakes and come short, we recognize it and we go back to the Lord and say, you know what, God, I tried to, I tried to lead and I didn't make the right turn. I tried to lead and I went the wrong way. I tried to lead, and I went too fast, or I went too slow. I tried to lead, and I got myself turned around. I tried to lead. Lord, forgive me. You lead me. It's a daily devotion to the Lord. Let Jesus lead as part of facing our cross. There's also another aspect of this. He says, don't run from suffering, but embrace it. That's not something I enjoy talking about, but there are tons of examples in the Word of God that talk about suffering. In 1 Peter 1, Peter tells us, hey, the testing of your faith is the only way you're going to get stronger. The resistance you go through is the only way you're going to build up spiritual muscle and spiritual memory. So when we go through suffering, it makes our faith stronger, or it has the ability to make our faith stronger. And Jesus says, look, when you face your cross, there are going to be things you're going to have to go through. Don't run away from them. Embrace them. Don't shy away from going through suffering. Face it because that's part of the cross because what happens is your faith will actually get stronger as a part of going through it. And there's another part he brings out. He says, hey, be willing to make self-sacrifice not physical per se, but there are things, there's, there are situations and there are events and there are places in life where, in, in, in context where we can make sacrifices. And Jesus said, it's the way to finding our true self, our identity. And the identity that Christ followers are called to have is to be more like Christ. First Peter, or excuse me, Philippians 2 in the message says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life 
and then died a selfless, obedient death. When I thought our food should have arrived earlier through that mobile order that I told you about earlier, and when I told and apologized to my family, my spouse, who loves me so much, said, do you think that's kind of like entitlement, that you felt entitled to get it at a certain pace and time? And I laughed, and I said, actually, it's probably a whole lot, has to do with a whole lot more than just that, but yeah. How entitled are we? I didn't even think to bother to ask how the person was doing who brought me the food. I felt kind of bad about that. Because they were really busy and they were really overrun and I can't imagine what was going through their mind or what kind of day or week they've been having through this whole entire process. And I missed a moment to be like Christ and I was more like me. And it felt, it felt pretty bad. It made me feel small. I felt entitled, but entitlement really makes you feel smaller. It doesn't make you bigger. We won't fulfill God's purpose for our life in the way he intends if we don't face our cross, I didn't want to apologize to the crew yesterday or the other day for, for that, but I knew I had to. I, need, I needed to make it right in my kids' eyes especially because I didn't want them growing up thinking they could be that impatient for food. Where is Jesus wanting to take the lead in your life right now? Where, are you, where is he wanting to take the lead? We feel the nudges. We feel them, but oftentimes we don't acknowledge them. And those nudges are coming from the Holy Spirit to our life because there are things that you and I need to face about facing the cross to let Jesus take the lead. Maybe it's in the finances. Does he want to lead there? He does. Maybe it's in your marriages. Maybe it's in your teenage life right now. and Things aren't working out the way you wanted them to. Where does Jesus want to take the lead in our life right now? What part of this season of suffering are you trying to just push away and not deal with? I think the word for us would be, let's let God use this time for our good. Let him use it for our good. What what sacrifices is God nudging you to make right now that just don't want to make because it's inconvenient and I just don't want to do that. But if we would maybe give in and let Christ arise, his image, his identity could be formed better in us in that area. We all have him. We have to face challenges, but we, we have to face some things. We have to face ourselves. We have to face giants and not be scared and run away. We have to face our cross and let Jesus lead. It's about gaining the right perspective, taking the right position in the name of God, our Lord and Savior. It's about fulfilling our purpose that the Lord gave us to live out you know God can bring us out of things but there's always things he's working on inside of us and right now we just need to 
let them let him do that and face what we need to face because there is a new horizon there is a new corner to turn and there is a new season and friends I don't want to have to wait and 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 wait like the children of Israel did we can learn from them the Bible tells us that they their stories are examples to us today we can learn from their mistakes and not repeat them let's face what we need to face let's take a moment and pray as we as I wrap up the sermon part of this service today and just ask you to bow your heads and just let's humble our hearts right now for for just a moment and I just want to pray over each and every one of us oh father I thank you so much you are perfect in all your ways you are kind you are good and today Lord we're we find our the whole world in, in different parts of it we're waiting and here in America we don't like to wait but we're forced to wait and so as we're waiting God you I think you're challenging us to face some things to face ourselves face our giants that we've been neglecting to confront because of busyness of life the perplexities of life you're calling us to face our cross and let you lead and us make sacrifice so we want to do that right now as we bow our head and humble our heart we say come Holy Spirit give us the strength the courage to face what we need to face and then to let you work things out of us from within us we welcome your work Holy Spirit you're perfect at it you're bringing about the image and the likeness of Christ. You're bringing about the purpose of God. You're bringing about freedom where our heart is crying out for freedom. Do your work now, Holy Spirit, in our life, in our homes, in our families, in this, in this community, in our world. We're waiting and we're watching and we're looking to you. Give us the right perspective. May we take the right position. And God, help us to live our purpose the way you've called us to live it out. We honor you now. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.